Welcome to our weekly podcast of Womankind Collective with me, Lou Hawkins-Thompson and me, Jinty Sheeran. We will talk all things woman, so get the kettle on and settle in for a chat and probably a lot of laughter along the way. This week, we will be talking to 38-year-old Lisa Woodcock, who had a liver transplant in October 2021. We will be finding out how her recovery is going, what led to her needing a transplant, the stigma that surrounds liver disease, and lots more. In the book collective, we finish our book by Anita Diamant, The Red Tent, and begin our new one, Second Spring, by Kate Codrington. Find out how we are getting on with our yoga WI. And finally, we have a quote for the week. Talking of weeks, how's your week been, Lou? We, we've had a bit of a bit of a gallivanting affair, uh, we, we both of us? We have. We've been gallivanting up to that big smoke, London. We have, both separately doing doing different <sighs> random things. It was amazing. So I, I, I was very lucky enough to go to Hyde Park to see Duran Duran. Mm. 40 years I've waited to see them. <coughs> I mean, my dreams really did come true. And, you know, I, I was back in 1982. Yeah. Oh, I was loving life. Yeah. Yeah. Those new sequins. Miss sequins. But little tip, don't wear sequins in 30 degree plus heat in Hyde Park <laughs> with absolutely no shade. And then pay £9 for a calippo. £9 <laughs> for a calippo? No, I know. I know. Well, but it was lovely, though, that you enjoyed that calippo. Oh, Christ, I, it was my whole meal for you that day. You your bra. I would have <laughs> no. I cool down. I asked for some ice cubes and I, I had it down, down my bra, and then I put another one down my top. But she ended up because I was sat on the grass at this stage, and they asked me crack asked me crack. So when I stood up, it looked like I wet myself. But you know what? I'd gone fifty-four, gone past caring yeah. now. Anyway, yeah. Um, a few little snippets that I found out in the news this week that I just wanted to talk about, which I was really quite cross about. Super dry. So, Superdry have been knocking down the over 50s woman. Did you know this? There's a, no. A lady called Rachel Sun- Sunderland. She is a knitwear design specialist and she's an absolute leader in her field. She was employed with, by Superdry since 2015. And she was deemed what they call a low flight risk, which means the company can treat her however they want. And they knew she wasn't going to leave. But they knew the younger people in the company would leave. So she was repeatedly passed over for promotion in favour of her younger colleagues who had much much less experience. So she felt forced to resign. Well, good for Rachel, I say, and good for the over 50s woman because she got a payout from the um, tribunal that she took them to in Bristol and she was awarded £96,000 in compensation so sticking the middle finger up to super dry yeah, there. So good, yeah, good for her. Good well for her. done, Rachel. Yeah. And talking about the heat gents, mm-hmm. I just want I just wanted to talk about um going topless and bikinis as well. Mm-hmm. So so why is it as British women, I don't know how you feel, do you feel confident, as confident as your French counterparts when going topless and being confident with your body when you're on a beach? No. No, no, never have been. I don't, and I can't explain it. And I don't mind other people. No, but I've never been uh, able to. Okay, so a British reporter who went on holiday, she encountered many a tut when she was in in France of disapproval, but they were from older 
British people on holiday when she decided to go topless as the French women were and everything else. She's 51 years old and she says she feels now as a female much more body confident than she did in her 20s and 30s. So again, I'd like to, I'd like to know actually how how people do feel about yeah. topless sunbathing. I I don't have a, an issue with it. I think it's everyone else that's looking that has yeah, an issue I, with it. Yeah. Really, more so. Yeah, I agree. It's a funny one, isn't it? Yeah. Well, another thing collective I want to tell you about just very quickly: Sorrento in Italy, they have banned bikinis. Oh, I know. Okay. So if you're going off to the beautiful Sorrento, don't wear your bikini. Because um, it could land you with a fine of £425 for indecency. Why is that? Then? So the mayor of Sorrento, Massimo Coppola, I thought he sounded a bit like the godfather. Mafia. Yeah. Said the exposed skin is upsetting locals and warned it would now result in fines. Sorrento municipal police officers will be patrolling the streets to make sure people are not walking shirtless or in their swimwear. So, what are your thoughts on that? Do you but think is that just is that everywhere or on the beach or, or, or that's everywhere in Sorrento? I mean, I I can understand it a bit like um, <clears throat> Tesco and places banning men shirtless, and, yeah, because that's you know I can understand that, but on the beach would be a bit yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so do beware. So it's not just bikinis, as long as they're so banning make, men. Well, the thing is, if, if they bought well. ban bikinis, just to go topless then. Yeah. Yeah, just, if it's my bikini that's the trouble, whip it off, there whip you go. Whip it off and just walk around in your bikini <laughs> bottoms. And if that's an issue, whip that off, you know. Good, let's be loud and yeah. proud here. Let's, yeah. let's get it out there. Exactly. If you've got a problem with my bikini, you can have it. Yeah. <laughs> well, to, in fact, you lead rather well oh, into yeah. mine. Because okay, it, go did for you, it. <clears throat> did you see the lovely actor Florence Pugh this, this week? Oh, I don't know if I did. Well, she, um, on her Instagram this week, uh, she poked fun at Instagram's double standards when it comes to male and female nipples after making an appearance at the Valentino's latest fashion show. So she wore, and I'm going to post this this week, an absolutely stunning, you will love it, Lou, a stunning sheer bright pink, like a fuchsia pink uh, Valentino gown, um, which showed her nipples. And uh, she wrote, she posted a photo on her personal Instagram page and she wrote, technically they're covered. So they they were, they were covered, but it was sheer. The next day there came a backlash, men's commentary on how vulgar Flo looked and how she should be embarrassed about being flat chested and how disappointed they were in her tiny tits, et cetera, et cetera. These comments men made. And it's their business because of what? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, absolutely. So the following day, good old Flo, the following day, she posted um, more photos. Good. And um, this, this is just a little bit from her Instagram. Go and have a look for the whole thing. Um, she said, listen, I knew when I wore that incredible Valentino dress that there was no way there wouldn't be a commentary on it, whether it be negative or positive. We all knew what we were doing. I was excited to wear it. Not a wink of me was nervous. 
I wasn't, e I wasn't before, during, or even now afterwards. What's been interesting to watch and witness is just how easy it is for men to totally destroy a woman's body publicly, proudly for everyone to see. It isn't the first time and it certainly won't be the last time a woman will hear what's wrong with her body by a crowd of strangers. What's worrying is just how vulgar some of you men can be. Thankfully, I've come to terms with the intricacies of my body that make me me. I'm happy with all of the flaws that I couldn't bear to look at when I was 14. So she's, you know, all hail flow. Yeah, 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 absolutely brilliant. Go and check her Instagram. She doesn't need more followers. She's got about, you know, millions. Um, but go and check her out anyway. And the photos are stunning. So, <clears throat> you know, go and check that out. I just can't believe that men think they actually have a, oh. a, a God given right. And you know what? I bet these I bet these men aren't no gods. Exactly. They're not putting photos of themselves on there, are no. they? You know. Twats. But the whole double standard nipple thing is just ridiculous mm -hmm. anyway, isn't it? Do you know um, if it offends, scroll on by or unfollow. Yeah. There, there's yeah. there's just yeah. Just, well, it just beggars belief that people have the time to actually comment on something they don't actually like. Well, and I think it was Madonna last year because she had a couple of photos taken mm -hmm. off and they were beautiful photos, but mm -hmm. they did show a tiny little bit of nipple. Um, and she she said, that, what about women's asses? Is that, that they're, they're shown everywhere. And if that's not sexual, I don't know what is. So it, it's madness, isn't it? Double madness. standards. Yeah. Um, and... Going back to my London trip, Lou. Mm. So um, I can't say much about ABBA or the Kit Kat Club um, cabaret because um, you're you're sort of banned to secrecy, and I wouldn't want to spoil it for anyone else. Apart from I just say go because if you get the chance, you they said are it both... was the best. You said ABBA Voyage was the best two hours going out of your life. Yeah, really good fun. Um, yeah. It was absolutely brilliant. And, and Cabaret was fantastic too. But we were waiting for Cabaret, mm -hmm. which is on at, they've called it the Kit Kat Club, but you, it's the Playhouse. And uh, so we went for a little drink and we were looking up thinking, where can we go for a little drink before that, you know, where's, where's quite local? And have you heard of 40 Elephants? No. Well, I should tell you more about it. So it's a bar. When we went in there, we thought, well, this is quite, it's, you walk in and it's in a hotel and there's no, nothing outside. And we said, oh, well, we're looking for the 48, 40 elephants. And he said, oh, you're here. And so I'm going to tell you what the 40 elephants Do are. Do tell. Okay? The 40 elephants or 40 thieves were a 19th to 20th century, all female London crime syndicate. Wow. Who specialized in smash and grab shoplifting. Go girls. Notable for their longevity and skill in avoiding police detection. Uh, the women had many sidelines, including false references to obtain work as housemaids before ransacking employers homes i'm laughing I'm, I'm not saying that's right i'm just you know yeah but you just think you know in those clever. times yeah. yeah women had an awful life yeah. at those times they had nothing of their own i love this story yeah. yeah it's um so they would be dressed in specially tailored coats cummerbands cummerbunds muffs skirts bloomers and hats sewn with hidden pockets mounting raids on london's west end shops such as selfridges um where they plundered goods worth thousands of pounds and uh, the gang grew to a huge syndicate of around 70 women and targeted high-class shops eventually expanding to areas outside London 
Um, the gang members led extravagant and decadent lifestyles. They looked at the movie stars and they kind of thought, you know, that's that's a bit that's a bit of us. Um, during the early part of the 20th century, the 40 elephants queen, if you like, was Alice Diamond or Diamond Alice, as she became known because she punched hard wearing diamond rings on each oh, finger. Oh, get on, Alice. <laughs> Her mentorship groomed future generations of female thieves, providing both a role model and a route for lower class girls to achieve independence, which would have been it, it, it would have been there was no, no it, social or, climbing in those no, days. It would have been, you know, just to get money, it would have been prostitution mm-hmm. would probably, or, you know. It would have been one of the only yeah. options, wouldn't it? Um, glamour was both a goal and a smokescreen for the 40 elephants <clears throat> through which they created their own thrilling world of fashion, money and fame. Um, so they were called, they think they were called, their, their crime syndicate operated in the elephant and castle area. Um, so they think that's where the 40 elephants came from. And they al- allied with the male Im- imagine, not imaginatively named elephant and castle mob. Oh, that's the boys. Yeah. Um, But they were allied, but they were very much separate. So they did their own thing. And the heyday was in the sort of of interwar years, 20s and 30s, although there is um, they're finding now, obviously, women's history has been Mm. erased in a lot of places, Mm -hmm. but they're finding now they go way, way back. Um, And they were admired by their male counterparts uh, in the elephant gang for their organization and expertise and they reigned for a lot longer than most male gangs well i would imagine they'd be more organized yeah they're, they're not so Less hierarchical ego. yeah exactly so that the ego's not there yeah a, a woman would be planning you'd be helping each other out it's not yeah. it's not all about yourself no, is it exactly. it's helping up helping yeah. out your sisters exactly that is exactly yeah it, um and she created diamond alice also created the hoisters code which is a code of con conduct that outlined the democratic manner in which the gang operated including um, detailing the equal division of money from heist jobs um, an expectation for the gang to care for the family members of imprisoned thieves uh, anyone imprisoned and for the woman to always provide alibis uh, for each other so it's a bit like when you give your tips at a restaurant it's you know it's divided they, mm. they would make sure so that everybody all equal it was all, it was all equal um and so this this bar it, it we sort of found it like say completely by accident but the bar if I tell you the address was three to five Scotland Yard <laughs> so you might guess that the original it's the original Scotland Yard that Sherlock Holmes used to write about um the police station where Inspector Lestrade worked um and it's also where some of the members of the 40 elephants would have been imprisoned or would have been in wow. the cells whilst waiting for their How trial amazing. it's absolutely fascinating so over the fireplace there's this painting of this beautiful beautiful woman um and she's called Lillian Goldstein so the barman came over and was telling me all these Mm. telling me all this um and she was also known to the police as bobbed haired bandit um who she was the gang's getaway driver for the smash and grab raids um in the 20th century they used high-powered cars to outrun the police and Lillian spent time in one of the police cells right where we were um, and in, in front of the fireplace uh, where she's looking, there is um, 
a skylight and it hangs the most gorgeous chandelier and uh, it represents so it's all like bits of broken glass mm. all like they're exploding out and so it represents smash and grab so they these are all these bits of glass and inside these bits of glass are these great big green stones which recommend uh, rec- represent rather um like jewels jewels wow. that they'd be they'd be stealing so <clears throat> so i'm not sure whether she'd be drinking espresso martinis like we were in the, oh, in the I, police cells. Do you know who what? knows though do you know what if she could she would yep she would um and if, and officially the 40 elephants did not disband till 1992 fantastic yeah but things had wound down a bit before then mm. but yes it's, it's an amazing story love isn't it? it i love it we need to go next we do time we're in london next time let's go and have a martini in there oh We've had some wonderful comments again, Lou, haven't we? Oh, we have. So in episode nine, we talked about the pleasure gap and orgasms after watching the film Good Luck Leo Grand. And Margaret on Instagram told us a great story about her friend. She said, I have a friend younger than I am. She's 44 now. Her husband left her and her children nine years ago, their children nine years ago. During one of of our conversations on a very rare girl's day out, a couple of glasses in, she told us that she'd never had an orgasm with him. And she told us because we'd encouraged her to go on a date with a nice fellow who had asked her a couple of times, she'd had her first orgasm with him. Well done. Ring that bell. (laughs) Someone she hardly knew who obviously wanted to... I wanted to her to have some pleasure too. Yeah. Incidentally, she's happily single. And but you know Good what? Good for you. Good for her. Good yeah, for your friend, yeah. Margaret. That's ding-a-ling. Yeah, ring that bell. I don't know why I said ding-a-ling then. Ring nah. that bell. But do you know what? <laughs> it's a carry-on film. Yeah. <laughs> We've gone back in time to 1962. God help us. <laughs> Who are Mrs. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> brilliant yeah, isn't it? it does all it takes is a little bit of somebody you know That's caring about your experience yeah. yeah fantastic well done and on that same note um gorgeous razia i love this um told me she says once i once had an accidental <laughs> just reading it now <laughs> oh it's brilliant i once had an accidental orgasm i was on a train needed to pee so i was tilting my pelvis forwards the vibration of the tray squeezing train rather squeezing my pelvic floor whilst tilting my clitoris into the seat gave me a tiny but intense orgasm I was young and inexperienced and wasn't sure what it was fantastic yeah British rail brilliant and um Laura Graham writes commented on the same episode with Claire Green I really enjoyed this episode got a lot out of it I think a lot of people do including Sandra Sandra says really enjoyed the episode as usual but I found the chat with Claire very informative helpful and enlightening it gave me a chance to reflect on my own recent stress and trauma and understand it a bit more it's all in that understanding isn't it definitely and Sasha said she was keen to listen to last week's episode how to get the most from your GP menopause appointment adding I've got a GP appointment very soon an actual real life face-to-face appointment gosh it's like bloody hen's teeth good luck Sasha yeah good luck with that Sasha let us know um Neil loved last week's episode uh too saying really enjoyed you and Lou chatting today lots of great points you got across still laughing at Lou's comment so proudly saying oh yes I've done the math that (laughs) that 51 take 12 was 37 (laughs) 
<laughs> Bloody love her. Yeah. It wasn't our strong point. Yeah, was it maths? No, I'm no mathematician. <laughs> and Sarah adds, just to let you know the theory about singing and snoring, actually, it's not true with her. She says she sings, because I know she sings in a choir, and she still snores. Oh, well, you know, can't work for everybody. No. Lisa Woodcock had a liver transplant in October 2021 due to primary biliary cholangitis. She's currently recovering and on a mission to raise as much awareness as possible around organ donation, immunosuppression, I'm sorry, I knew I was going to my thank you, <laughs> and liver disease, and to erase the myths and stigma that surround liver disease. Lisa is 38, married with two fur babies and lucky enough to live by the sea here in Exmouth. When not talking all things medical, you can usually find her on the Peloton leaderboard <laughs> running or cycling up uh, a mountain, skiing or in cooking in the kitchen. Uh, Lisa's top secret is she prefers animals to humans. I think a lot of us do. Yeah, a lot of us yeah. do. Thank you for coming on Thank and speaking you. to us, Lisa. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So before we get into all the questions, we've got a little list of questions for Lisa. Can mm. you just tell us what Lisa was like pre-liver transplant? I knew a little bit of Lisa before pre-liver, but go yeah. for it. To be honest, I think I was exactly the same as I am now. Um, I've always been one of those really annoying, over-positive people. My glass has always been half full. You know, always had the zest for life, all of that. Um, and then suddenly this little hurdle came along, which I've had to get over. And um, and I continue to be positive. Why not? There's no point. You know, I think things like um, uh, being angry or sad about situations that we may find ourselves in is a bit of a wasted emotion. So I'm pretty much exactly the same. I've just got a new organ inside me. So, <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's one of those. I think, um, I think... If there is anything that I would say is different, I would say that I'm probably less materialistic yeah. than I was before. Um, before it was all about, you know, going as far as I could in my career, owning everything that, you know, that I set my eyes on, that I liked and that I wanted and um, having the best of the best. And now I just think none of those things mattered. Matter. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. In that moment, when I was walking into that theatre, not one of those things crossed my mind. So I think now it's a case of, you know, enjoy everything. As always, love and respect your friends and your family and just appreciate those moments and those memories. Because that's when you're in that moment that you don't know what's going to happen. That's what's in your mind. Yeah. So you weren't yeah. ill. You weren't ill beforehand. With, <clears throat> with the, so this, this came as quite, quite a shock. Um, yeah yeah so um it's a bit different in my case because my mum has the same disease um so I've known about primary brilliant cholangitis for a long long time for many years and I actually didn't think much of it because my mum's had it she's lived with it for over 25 years she takes a magic pill every morning and she's very stable grateful um so that's that was my knowledge of this this autoimmune disease it's liver ah, disease. It's an autoimmune disease. Okay. It's an, yeah, it's not actually the liver that's the problem. It's, oh, it's, it's my the body immune system. Yeah. That, okay. So can you can you explain a little bit more? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So my body 
basically sees the bile ducts within my liver um, as a foreign object. So it tries to destroy them. Um, so that, that is the beginning and the end of it, really. It's an autoimmune disease. I've had my transplant. I still have the autoimmune disease. So it's likely that, especially given my age, this is normally something that comes up later in life, um, that my uh, my body will look not only at this new graft, my new liver, and want to reject that, but it will still have this um, this condition where it looks at those particular bile ducts within the liver and wants to get rid of them. So it's now got like a two-pronged attack going on. So I take medication now for the rest of my life, which will hopefully stop the rejection of the liver. Mm. But also um, I continue to take the medication, which never worked for me, unfortunately, but we hope one day it might kick mm. in and it might stop my body from attacking the bile ducts as well. So it's, yeah, it's an autoimmune disease rather than a liver disease, um, but it's, it's the liver that's affected. Wow. And your mum's obviously, as you said, your mum's never needed, the, the medication has worked for your mum. She's never yeah. had a, yeah. She's totally responsive to the medication, which oh. is great. And the majority of people are. Um, so when I was diagnosed, I thought, you know, as I mentioned, no problem. I'm going to be exactly the same as my mum. I don't have to worry about this. Um, but I started taking the medication and my blood, so they do lots of, obviously take lots of blood tests just to keep an eye on your function of your liver. Um, they were declining and declining and declining. We thought, we'll just give it a bit of time for the medication to kick in. Time wasn't making any difference. The function of the liver was getting worse and worse and worse. Um, so they decided to do a biopsy. Um, and that's when they saw that I had a, a different variant. So we all know about variants now with COVID mm -hmm. and all of that. So um, it's quite easy to talk about because people know what I'm saying. So yeah. <laughs> I had a different variant. I had a more aggressive variant um, that was not, the bile ducts, what happens to them is they start to narrow over time and that can take years and years and years. So the majority of people with um, a PBC will, will die with PBC, not because of PBC. Um, but then you have a very small percentage of people like myself who are unresponsive. Um, and then to add on top of that, my bile ducts weren't narrowing with damage over time. They were just disappearing. They were completely disappearing. Gosh. So when they did that biopsy, in the very small amount that they took, they were expecting to see 15 bile ducts and there was two remaining. So uh, at that point, we knew that it was, uh, was going to be a bit of a speedier process. At what point did they know? Did they always know then that you'd need a transplant at some point? No. You know, even um, So... That one magic pill is the licensed drug mm. for PBC, but there are many other wonderful drugs out there um, that they try and they class as unlicensed that may have worked for other people. So we had in about, I don't know, about seven, eight months of trying all different weird and wonderful things to see um, if any of them would kick in and do mm. what we wanted them to do. You know, you re read the labels of all these drugs and they all say, if you've got a liver issue, don't take this. And you're like, oh, God. Okay. Yeah. My, my one symptom, how I went, why I went to the doctors in the first place, get diagnosed was because I was itching. So I was itching all over my body. I was ripping my skin off, wasn't sleeping. Um, and that was getting worse and worse and worse with all these different drugs. It, they weren't doing anything. So that's when my consultant said, uh, we've, we're going to try some steroids, some different steroids now. And then after, after we've tried them, if they don't work, we need to open a conversation on transplant. 
So that was, I got diagnosed in 2020, March, and then that was the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, that we opened up that conversation. What happened then? How, how does that whole process work um, and how hopeful I'm obviously you're only well you were 36 at the, at the time yeah so 36 at the time yeah so they're quite hopeful that they would get yeah. a donor yeah yeah they're always hopeful they'll get a donor there's always you know you don't go you don't go onto the transplant um list you're going on it knowing that your mortality rate is very limited at that point um it's normally a case of they expect that you would pass without treatment within five years or less depending on how aggressive your disease um is at that time mm. um so you already know there's obviously huge risks but it's a case of this is the last treatment option um, and it can take anything from half an hour the minute you've been listed to three four years till you get your transplant because it's not it's not a list it's not like lisa was placed on it here um and she's next in line it's about match and it's about making sure that the organ that you're going to receive is the best possible match because you don't want your body to reject it and the closer the match is with um your height your area your size um, your blood type, all those different things are taken into account. It's actually 36, I think it is, 36 different things taken into wow. account to get a match. Um, so you literally can get listed and get a call within half an hour because that perfect match is, has just come in. Or I, I've got friends who have been waiting over three years, which is, you know, the other side of the coin. Um, and then you have lots of people that pass waiting. For, for donors as well um so they are always hopeful they don't tell you you know we don't we, not, we don't expect you to not get a liver or whatever organ you're waiting for um but you know you're well you're well prepped for yeah. you know the wait and what's to come and what could happen yeah. um but if you don't have hope what have you got well yeah um, it's, all, it's all unknown I yeah. suppose completely unknown isn't it yeah it it's is, a really yeah. horrible feeling as well because you know, I couldn't have um, a living donor. And in some cases, kidneys generally come from living donors and partial liver transplants can come from living donors, but I needed the full thing. Um, so for me, it was going to be a donor from someone who's passed away. So you're waiting and every day you're waiting for your call, but at the same time, you're thinking, gosh, someone's got to die for this. But mm -hmm. you've got to rephrase that in your mind and you've got to say to yourself, they're not dying for you. No, That would have happened anyway. So, so what actually happens when you get the call, Lisa? So it depends. There's only seven units in the UK for transplants. Um, and the unit that I'm with is King's in London. Um, and they do a huge assessment on you. So there's loads of different tests. Um, they then hold a big meeting um, and they decide amongst them all, they basically vote whether you're going to be on that list. So they're basically voting as to whether they're going to wow. give you another chance of life. So it's quite a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And you're sat at home, you're waiting for the call. You communicate with other people who are going through the same things, um, which is a huge thing. This is where social media really comes into its own. Uh, you pack your bag, it's at the door. You can't go on holiday. You can't be within a distance that you're told outside of. Like you can't go on, you know, I couldn't go down to Cornwall, for example. Um, and so you, you're really restricted in your life. You can't put your phone on silent. You have to keep your phone yeah. on you all the time. And don't, you don't realise how big those things yeah. are until mm. it happens. Yeah. Um, so you're sat on the waiting call and you're there for however long you're going to be there for. And then suddenly your phone rings and it's a no caller ID. 
and it, it does generally come in the evening it just seems to be the time of day that it, it is um and you get told there's a potential match so you're not told coming in you're having your transplant you're told there's a potential match and you need to make your way to the hospital so because I live all the way down here and King's is all the way in London um if I was at home I would have been picked up by an ambulance and transported up to London um I was in London anyway because I was actually booked in for a cancer scan on the Wednesday so I was um I was in London I was in an emergency room because I was having a very bad symptom and was sent there by my hospital and I got the call so they said don't come yet we we don't know if we've got a bed for you. So they kind of say we've got a match, but if we can't yeah. find a bed, it's, you're no, not going to have no. it. And they have a couple other people who are, if they have other matches within the system, who yeah. will be told you are, this, you, you, we've got someone else, but it may be yours if it's not viable for that person. So other people will be waiting as well. Um, and then you, you make your way in once they've told you that they've got a bed. You then got, because there's this big rush, like, rush to get to hospital, but then when you get there, there's hours because you don't know where the organ's coming from. It may be within that hospital. You go through some more tests to make sure that you're ready to go. Um, and then you've got to wait. You've got to wait for that surgeon to look at that organ and decide, make that decision as to whether it's going to be for you or not. So what, it's sort of really... thing go, what sort of things go through your mind while you're waiting? Do you, well, it... you're prepped for false calls. Because a lot of the time the organ will arrive and the surgeon will decide, no, this isn't right. Um, it's, it's not good enough. Uh, so I, the whole time, was thinking this isn't going to go ahead because most people have two or three false calls before they get their actual match. So I was really quite relaxed. I was like, you know, one, this is either going to be my match and I'm going to go and have this surgery and my itch is going to stop. Um, or it's more than likely not going to be my match and um, I'm in London anyway, so I haven't got that huge journey back home and I'll have my scan that I'm supposed to have on Wednesday and we continue <laughs> waiting. So um, I felt quite relaxed about it all, really. Um, and, and that's going to be different for everybody. But I think for me, because it was during COVID as well, the hospital's very quiet, you know, it's not your normal hospital environment yeah. where everyone's rushing around or anything. And that for me helped. I couldn't have my whole family around my bedside, you know, <laughs> so that helped for me as well, you know, yeah. a quick FaceTime to say, I'll see you on the other side. So yeah, you go through a whole a whole range of emotions, really. You're updating social media because I've blogged everything. I've blogged the whole right. journey to help other people. Updating, saying you've got the call. And, and then you have this real surreal moment. You think, God, there's a family somewhere who are going through the most horrific time of their life. Yeah, I'm sat here like quite excited about what's to come. Mm -hmm. So you have that kind of like, you know, you sit back and think this has happened these steps have happened for this moment right now to be, you know, to be going mm. ahead potentially. Mm. Um, and then in walks a, a surgeon with some paperwork and that's when you know it's, it's good to be good to go. Wow. Yeah. Um, and they came in to wheel me around and I said, can I walk? Because I knew I'd be bedridden for a while. So mm. we walked around and I'd said to Justin, I want photos of everything. So I really want to share this journey you know just yeah. take pictures of everything so we've got all these pictures of me walking down the hallway with I think there's about four or five doctors around me part of the team that are in theatre um, and then you get to the doors of the theatre and um, they talk you through what's going to happen next and they introduce you to the team and then they say what are you here for today 
So it's like, <laughs> coming shopping. Yeah, I love a cappuccino, please. Oh, yeah. I want to get my life back. <laughs> that was a bit weird. Um, and then they said, right, okay, we're happy. You know what you're here for. We're happy. This is what we're doing. Um, say goodbye to your husband. So I said goodbye to That was quite to emotional, wasn't it? Yeah, I was, yeah. I that picture is yeah, really emotional, really I think strong that picture. Is, yeah it shows Justin is just full of worry and I'm like yes get on and do this you know so we were both going through such different things um said goodbye and then off in I went and I could see them I could see them working on the liver in the corner and it was this huge massive room I really wasn't expecting it it was freezing cold and there was just this you know bed like right in the middle of the room so I was like okay right this is happening it's really going ahead but I also knew of some people who had got to that stage who were put to sleep and then waking up without their new organ oh, because the, the last minute it didn't go ahead. So I, I also knew that too. Um, so yeah, really strange, really surreal moment. But I look, I look back on the whole thing really fondly actually because I just think, you know, what a team, what an amazing team. Oh. They were like, we've got some students, do you mind them? And more the merrier, yeah. you know. So yeah. I went onto the. So she went, "Can you get onto the table?" So I had my gown. I was like trying to protect my bum from showing. Yeah. She went, we're, we're <laughs> they're going to see the all off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was like, "We'll wait until you're asleep for that." <laughs> so yeah, and then I woke up. My my surgery was quite quick. Um, it was just over six hours. Justin was updated all the way. You know So, and how quick year on year they're adapting things is amazing. And 
you know, you, you learn that, a, they call it a graft, a new organ is a graft. Um, you learn that a graft is only really expected to last between five and 10 years. And you think, oh God, I've got this new chance of life, but it's a real ditty chance, you know, it's a real shortened chance. And that is without rejection. Like I had rejection on day five. Um, so it's, it's, it's got to be really well controlled and really looked after. So they've told me right from the beginning, you're 36, get diagnosed with this, I'm 38 now, you know, you have a transplant now, we're at that stage, there's nothing we can do about it, you are likely to have another transplant, two, potentially three in your lifetime, um, so what my body's just been through, I might have to do it again, so I, this morning I was running, and people think, good, you're running post-track, my mum's telling me off constantly, you're doing too much, you're doing too much, I'm like, no, I'm not, you know, because I've got to, I've got to look after my body, and yeah. this, this, this gift I've been given, you know, yeah. and hopefully it will last for as long as possible. Yeah, and again, it comes back to balance, doesn't it, you've got to have a really certain does. amount of rest, but you've got to be as, as, as fit and as ready as, as you, as you can be, and I suppose it yeah. also, Lisa, it comes back to the, what you said at the beginning about appreciating everything. <laughs> I, I see people get stressed over little things and I think, why? Why mm -hmm. are you getting stressed over yeah. that? What's, yeah. what's the point? Look at the bigger picture. You know, how you appreciate people and things and, and time. So there are, I'm just reading Lou's question here. I don't understand it, but maybe you can. This is the whole point. There are different types of organ donation, DBT uh, yes. and DCD. Can I was impressed with that question. This is Lou, you see. She's obviously been doing more homework Research. than I have. Yes. Um, what's the difference and what type of donation did you receive? Yeah, this is quite complicated. Um, yeah, so really, I, I can un completely understand why you looked at that question and thought, huh? Um, a lot of people don't know is to be an organ donor, you, um, you, you have to die in hospital. So straight away, if you think about the pool of people who have registered and the amount of them that will actually die in a hospital setting, it's the amount of donors yes. which are going to be usable suddenly comes to a very, very small pot. So let's look at... DBD. DBD is donor by brain death. So somebody's in hospital, they're in an ICU setting, and they are sadly, they're brain dead, they're declared brain dead. Um, they're not going to come around from it, and their organs are doing what they would normally be doing, but they're brain dead. Okay, mm -hmm. so it comes to a discussion where they decide to with families can sense that there's nothing unfortunately we can do here and it's time to switch off the support when that support is switched off um all the organs will then stop the heart will stop pumping so oxygen and blood isn't getting to the organs okay so that can be controlled if you are attached to a machine which is keeping you alive but you are brainstem dead effectively your heart is currently still pumping blood and oxygen are going to the organs and keeping them all healthy and good they know they've now got to switch the machine off they've spoken to the family the family have said yes we had a conversation with our loved one and they do want to be an organ donor that means the hospital can then keep that machine going for as long as they need to before they can get set up mm. to then retrieve organs and then move them off to the recipients it's quite hard to talk about without being so blunt so I do apologize yeah. to anyone who finds this kind of conversation quite difficult to hear about so that is basically a controlled environment and the heart's still pumping away so the heart the lungs the liver they're all good they're all receiving oxygen they're all receiving blood okay mm -hmm. so that is a really controlled 
gold standard organ donation. Mm. And that's the one everybody wants. That's what I was told I had to have. You then have, and the reason why this came into play was because there were not enough organs going around to the amount of people that were on the list and more people were dying, waiting for an organ. Um, so they had to open up the pool of available donors. You still have to die in hospital, but this time somebody's had a cardiac death. And the minute you know you have a cardiac arrest and you die from it, um, you're unsavable, your heart stops. So we've suddenly got no blood and no oxygen going to all your organs mm. and keeping everything healthy. Yeah, so they start deteriorating and that can't be controlled. So it's an uncontrolled organ donation. Do you, does that yeah. explain yeah, that completely. well enough? So that is uncontrolled. These organs are going to have a period of time before we can get them into a perfusion machine, which basically does the work that the body would and keeps them going so they can get moved off to their recipients. Yeah. They, when they phoned me, they said, we've got a match, but it is a DCD. So they said to me, it's a DCD. We haven't been signed off for that. We are prepared to go ahead with it. We think you should, because we don't know when the next match will come in. Um, um, uh, we think because of your age and your fitness level, you're going to do a good job of you know, accepting this liver. Yeah. So I said, I trust you. I trust your opinion. Um, I was really poorly by this point. I was quite skeletal. I was very yellow. Um, and yeah, they knew I was declining quite quickly. So I said, yes, it all went ahead. And after the surgery, the surgeon came and saw me and he said, your liver was actually worse than we thought. Um, mm. So it literally came at the right time. Your liver was huge. It was really extremely um, inflamed. So you know, going for the DCD liver was the right thing to do. So, and I've accepted it well. I had that slight bout of rejection on day five and yeah, I could reject 30 years on, but mm. you know, if it goes on for that long. And moving on from that, Lisa, because you've actually chose to make contact, I believe, didn't you, with the donor family? I mean- yeah. I know that you've probably had a lot of help with that. And um, was that a, a choice that you made quite easily that you wanted to get in contact with them? Was it something you wanted to, to do? Yeah, I knew uh, the minute I was listed, when my day came and I received that gift of life, as it's called, um, I would get in touch with my donor family. And I had already decided the six month mark was the right time for me. It's a bit like a prison service. You write your letter and you can't put any personal information in it. All they know is I'm Lisa and I'm 38 years old and that's it. But they, they already know that because when a family member dies and uh, organ donation goes ahead, you receive a letter from the hospital saying um, your loved one's liver has gone to a 38-year-old female, the kidneys have gone to wherever, eyes have gone to wherever. So they know the basis mm. and that is all you can put in your letter. So I wrote this letter, um, I then sent it off. I actually put it into a card because for me, I was terrified of not writing enough or writing too much. So I thought if I've got a card, I've got a really controlled space. And to actually get pen to paper took me so long because I knew I was gonna do it. I knew I was gonna write this letter. I knew when I was gonna write this letter. I didn't know what I was gonna say. So it was really difficult. And you don't want to talk about you too much. You want to let them know what their their loved one's donation has done, and you know, and that kind of stuff. But you don't you don't want to get too medical. Um, before I was diagnosed, I couldn't even watch Casualty, you know, and yet now here I am. I'd watch any surgery under the sun. So, you, but 
you know you don't know who you're writing to how they um how they are with medical stuff so you've got to be really careful you send that card or that letter to your unit so I sent it off to King's I actually gave it to my consultant whilst I was there he gives it to another team so I will never know unless I receive Mm -hmm. you know a phone call to say we've got a letter for you it's all at their lead it's their choice I suppose the important thing is for for you is whether they um, answer you or not is that you wrote what you needed to say and yeah. you got that mm. down and that that yeah. must be the that's the important thing for you at the time I would imagine definitely um I yeah I I, I wrote what I wrote um I took photographs of it so I because I knew I'd forget and I'd want to go back and read what I've written and just check that it was right and I've got that and I've got that stored away um and I've now forgot about it to an extent mm. I, I don't want to get my hopes up I want no expectations I want no pressure on that family at all because um my donor was so young I expect it's a mum and a dad and that's you know it's if it was an older person it would have been a daughter or a son you know it's it's you yeah. just don't know how these people mm-hmm. will feel about yeah. it so and like I say, I don't even know if they've opted to receive it. So there's no point in sat here waiting every day for another phone call. I can't live my life waiting for these phone calls with good news, you know. So yeah. I've kind of popped it away. I've written what I want to write. I've sent it off and I've popped that kind of action or memory in my life away. And if something comes of it, something comes of it. You're sort of on the on a mission, like say you you kind of took photos, um, or Justin took photos, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, mm. and you're on a mission to raise awareness about PBC. I I had no idea, and I certainly had no idea it was an autoimmune disease, um, and other liver disease as well as organ donation. So, what what are the most like anything? There's myths, aren't there? That what are the most common myths um, that make you put your head in your hands? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's lots. I won't go through them all but they're, they're the ones that stand out the most or I hear the most mm. um or get messages the most about will be that you might you know you've, you've abused alcohol or drugs to have a liver disease yeah and you know if that that is a disease in itself you know that's a whole other conversation but the majority of liver diseases or autoimmune diseases are not caused by drugs toxins or alcohol it's normally genetics a bad diet cholesterol you know those kind of things um rather than alcohol or or drug abuse so that was one of the first things a lot of people have this real bad stigma around getting a liver disease i know so many people that say to me it's amazing that you've documented everything i was so ashamed of what i had at the time but i really wish i did i've got no photos to look back on or anything so that stigma really it changes people's journeys that are going through it. Um, so that's probably the main one. Another one is um, you've had your transplant, that's it, you're healed. Well done. <laughs> Transplants are treatment, it's not a cure. Um, so even for the diseases which are within the liver or, or whatever organ, organ it may be, that organ goes, that disease goes great. But those people are then immunosuppressed for the rest of their life. And that comes with huge, huge risks. Um, you know, just a, a common cold can kill you. It's as simple as that. So um, for us, for us immunosuppressed folk, COVID, um, and it's a weird thing to say, but for us, it's kind of done well because it's educated people on um, isolation, on keeping a distance from vulnerable people, you know, so it's helped, uh, it's helped in that way. So those people who had a disease in their organ, which had been removed and another one's been replaced, 
great their disease is gone but they're immunosuppressed and then you've got people like me whose disease is within the auto is within the immune system it's autoimmune so my organ that it's attacked is gone i've got a new organ in place and it can be attacked again so transplant is treatment not a cure um organ donation myths there are there are loads of these but the main ones are um a doctor won't save me if i'm registered and I go in gravely ill, they're not going to work as hard on me as they would somebody else because they think I can go and save nine people. And that's really not the case. Uh, first of all, it's a whole different team that deals with organ donation. Your doctor will not know whether you've registered or not. The person that's working on you there and then, you are their priority. You will be saved first. Another one is, oh, it's an opt-out system now. The law changed, so I don't need to do anything. So the reason why we ask people to register is because it removes that doubt of a family member in their worst possible moment. Mm -hmm. So a loved one has passed away in hospital um, and the organ donation team will come along and they will check the system. If they have it, plain sight of day, this person has registered, they have opted in, then they can go to the family and they can say, we can see on the system that your loved one has registered to be an organ donor. Did you know about this? Did you have a discussion? If they didn't, then it's, it makes it an easier choice for them because they know that their loved one put the effort in of going on, finding the website and registering themselves. Yeah. And if someone hasn't registered themselves, um, it's up to the loved one. So they're, they're going through the trauma of losing, losing somebody. And within that first 24 hours, they're now being asked if those organs can be used somewhere else. And that's traumatic for any loved one that's yeah. passed away, especially for a, a child. Yeah. So it's really something that we ask people to do is to register and discuss. So your family know, your family, your loved one, your partner, whoever, whoever it may be, they know that you at some point in your life have said, I would like to be an organ donor. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's go online and register. Don't put it down to the fact it's an opt-out system. Go on, make your statements and then have the conversation with your family. It's easier for the family. I mean, nothing's easy at that point, but it's it, it's a decision, you know, you think, well, they've made that choice. It just takes yeah. something away from, from them, doesn't it? Mm. Some decision that has to be made away yeah. from them. And maybe have that conversation again around the dinner table with your family, you know, if you are a donor, maybe just say, look, you know, I, I know it's not a nice thing to talk about, but I am a donor. If that ever comes up, these are the reasons why well, it's a good conversation to have with really really is. anything, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, we had it we, we, when you were in hospital, Lise. We did it, we all did it as a family. Oh, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and that's the best way to do it is, um, I think, is if you know somebody or yeah. if you know of somebody, you know what, what they've been through. If you watch Coronation Street, they recently did a liver transplant story, it was awful, but they did it. <laughs> now, I've got an off. Sorry, Lisa. I've got, I've got an off-piste question, oh, and I think I think I know the answer, and it's probably a very silly question. But are um, any organs gender-specific? And is there anything that that a male could not give to a female, or the other way around? That you know? No, about? absolutely not. Organs are gender-specific. They're not. It doesn't matter about your religion. It doesn't matter about your color, your sexual orientation it doesn't nothing matters at that point 
there is yeah. there there is no religion that says you can't be an organ donor you know that however you choose to live your life uh, anybody is able to be an organ donor the only thing that might um, stop you from being an organ donor but we still ask you to register is particular medical conditions but even with particular medical conditions let's say cancer for example you um, could be three years past active treatment and you are then viable to be an organ donor again yeah so register yeah. because at the time of registering you don't know what will happen where you'll be in your life mm. um and so the medical people will decide you know whether you can be an organ donor yeah. um and as i said you have to die in hospital you know there's so many degrees that yeah. have to, you have to go through before you get to the point of conversation anyway um so we always say to everybody no matter what just register and you know it, it will come down to your social activity your medical uh, medical history as to whether particular organs or tissue will be able to be used at, you know at, as a gift moving forward yeah. so finally lisa so what is next for you and can you tell us about your coffee tasting because i've been following mm-hmm. your coffee but, but can you let us, our listeners know about your your coffee tasting yeah so i i don't drink coffee i never have done i don't drink hot drinks actually um and uh, i have a dietitian as well through the nhs they're wonderful it's just all part and parcel of the transplant world and uh, she said to me coffee is good for your liver so I was like, oh, okay. She went, just one or two cups a day is really good for your yeah. liver. So I was like, okay, well, I'm happy to, to do anything to keep my new liver, you know, happy because we can't take milk thistle or supplements or anything like that. We're not allowed to touch them. Um, so it, we've got to find natural ways of doing good. And coffee is one of them. I cannot stand the taste of coffee. If it's a coffee cake, <laughs> fine. But yeah. Coffee, no. So I've put myself on this like 21 day challenge of trying to change my taste buds by having a coffee every day. Really? I've gone through the whole menu. This morning it was a straight up shot. So wow, well, that's hardcore, yeah. Liz. But you know what? It was in one and it was gone. So I think I actually preferred it <laughs> to like a long latte or something. So, yeah. So um, do you think that's do you think that's your the way you're going to go? An espresso. Minute, it was painless. You know, it was quick and it was easy. So uh, and cheaper and less calorific and <laughs> all those things. Um, so yeah, for for pure enjoyment of frappe, caramel frappe is the one at the minute, but uh, no, I'm a bit of a wimp when it comes to coffee, so we'll see. I, I thought it was 21 days, but I had that bubble burst yesterday and someone told me it's 35, so um, I've got to endure this for a bit longer yet and try and create <laughs> a habit. So apart from coffee, I'm continuing with my with my appointments and I've got one straight after this and um, going to the doctors, being a good girl, doing as I'm told um and just being as active as possible and and creating awareness of all these all these things liver disease organ donation transplant all the rest of it yeah you're doing a brilliant job absolutely yeah, you really are job. you really are thank so where, where can people find out more information about organ donation pbc and where can people find you lisa and follow you on your journey so uh for pbc as a uh, specific for PBC, there is a great charity called the PBC Foundation. Um, so it's pbcfoundation.org.uk. For liver issues in general, it's the British Liver Trust. And you can find them at britishlivertrust.org.uk. Um, for all things transplant related, you want to look at 
we look to the NHS. So that division of the NHS is NHS Blood and Transplant. Uh, you can just Google that and their website will come up. And for organ donation, again, you can just put in organ donation um, and it, it will, again, just come straight up. I think it's organdonation.nhs.uk is the actual website. And there you can find loads more myths, debunk those myths. Um, you can register you or your children, loved ones, you can um, go and look at some stories of people that have, have been through it and, and how their lives have changed through organ donation. So, and for me personally, I blog everything, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and I do that on Instagram. Um, and so my Instagram handle is Lisa underscore liver dot transplant dot journey. <laughs> Well done. And one more question that's just popped into my head from from when you were saying you were itching before. Did they can they did they explain to you what the a lot of itching was was about? What? Yeah, yeah, sure. We've not really touched much on that, and that was no, my, my thing. That was huge, yeah, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, itching. I worked on farms at the time, and I was in hotels a lot, so I put it down to that, and I didn't like going to the doctors, so I ignored it for about eighteen months, actually, um, and to that that wouldn't have changed my outcome uh, because I was unresponsive to the medication so it wouldn't have mattered at what point we found this um so itching 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 my mum said to me I want you to go to the doctors because that is a sign of liver issues so I went to the doctors had my bloods done 10 30 that evening I get a phone call we're sending an ambulance I was like no you're not <laughs> I've got two dogs and I'm not leaving them on their own <laughs> so um we talked them through some things I did some um self-checks that they asked me to do they thought I had a gallbladder issue they thought they needed to get me in and get my gallbladder whipped out basically so I went in the next day had some extra blood tests um and some scans and then we found the PVC so the itching why does it happen uh it happens because my bile ducts I mentioned earlier even narrowing or disappearing mm. their bile ducts is where the bile travels through the liver into your intestines and out of the body um, mine weren't there or they weren't working so this bile comes to the liver and it can't go any further so it was then getting stored and blocked in my liver once there's too much bile within the liver it then moves past into the blood so it goes it transfers mm -hmm. into the bloodstream and it sends signals to your brain so you have this blood uh, this bile flowing around your blood uh, it's very toxic underneath your skin so it's an itch that you can't itch so you can never get to you can yeah. never get to it and it moves it's all around and it's it makes you rip your skin off um and it drives your brain crazy you can end up with something called hepatic encephalopathy um so it's which makes you appear drunk and can actually put you into a coma it's really um it's really intense stuff when i got listed um to transplant they ended up putting a nasobiliary drain in they don't do that for many people not everybody has the symptom of itch i was just unfortunate um so they put this drain in my liver and it came out of my nose and so every day I was just draining out the bile which couldn't be drained through my bile ducts because they weren't there so we did it manually um and yeah and wow. we did that and, until and, that, and the, the bile is is again because you said you were very yellow when you when you went in when you were in hospital and you had is that is that the bile that's the bile yeah wow. that's the color of the bile so when you see people who are jaundiced that's why babies will always come out jaundiced because they'll have a bit of 
built up bile mm. but if they stay jaundice that's when you need to go back to your doctor because that bile hasn't moved on and babies can have the same it's called biliary astresia it's basically the same as pbc but it's it's as a baby's come out their bile ducts haven't um Develop, probably. Um, yeah, yeah, develop. Probably. Yeah, That's exactly yeah. It. So they can have it as a baby, and they need a transplant at that age. Wow. So. And are there any other symptoms that people? You said not everybody gets the itching. What other symptoms yeah. would, would would say your mum or or somebody else might notice? So the main symptoms from any liver disease and really any autoimmune disease will be fatigue. Um, so you, you get to a point where if you start noticing it's not it's, fatigue is different to being tired mm. you're tired you can go and have your cat nap and you're ready to go and ready for your night out being fatigued doesn't matter how long you sleep you're going to wake up feeling exactly the same mm. um so you just haven't got that energy um you've got the itching you uh, you might have jaundice without itching it's another big sign the whites of your eyes can start turning yellow and things like that you can get numbness around your fingers and um and different areas like that you start some people will gain appetite some people will lose appetite um and you can get pain liver pain what they call upper upper right quadrant pain so just under your right hand ribs um you start getting some real dull aches in that area and that's just your liver saying something's up i'm not very happy in here um so all, all good reasons to go and get blood tests done any blood tests you have they will generally add in a renal for your kidneys and they'll add in what we call lfts which is liver function tests even people with liver disease they very rarely will do a bile test on them um because as i said it's not a huge itching isn't it we know the bile's getting stagnant it's part of the disease but itching isn't a huge problem they did they did do one on me and they like it to be under five and mine was 450 something so they were like well we've never seen this level of bile and that's when they decided to put the nasobiliary drain in um so they just don't do those anymore but because yeah. my levels were so high they they um they decided to put one in i i don't know anybody else has had one um so that i loved that drain that drain gave me such relief oh, yeah i bet was, yeah. yeah it also gave me pancreatitis but that's another story altogether but, <laughs> you know, exactly. but when we, we say like scratching there is actually a video of you isn't there itching on on your your Instagram and it's not just a oh I've got an itch you really cannot control your hands because you are just wanting to take your skin off aren't you yeah, it's got, yeah. And I didn't know that video was being recorded. That's just me watching the TV. So it got to In a, a point, relaxed situation. Yeah. 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 Mm. I didn't even know I was itching until I looked down and there'd be just blood all over my arm or my leg. Like my legs had, you know, it, they were just covered in scabs. It was awful. Like, it's it really unpleasant because you start losing your confidence because mm. when you're sat there itching all the time you go out with your friends and you're just itching away it's just horrible mm. um and then not only <clears throat> are you itching all the time your skin starts getting scarred or bleeding or scabs and then you itch it again and the scab comes off and mm. you know so it's um it got to a point where I wasn't going out much because I didn't I didn't want people to see me like it and it yeah. was it was embarrassing it was you know it was really embarrassing so it's horrible so when they put that drain in although everyone stared at me then because I had a drain coming out of my nose um you were comfortable I felt, I felt comfortable I felt yeah, better yeah, you know I, yeah. felt, I, I felt like why don't I don't need a transplant this is great yeah. you know this is brilliant but yeah it, it, that was just a bridge to 
to get me yeah. to the next spot mm, yeah. yeah I was petrified because I knew it would only be in for a maximum of 10 weeks so I was petrified of it coming out I actually pulled the thing out myself when I had to take it out so that was a, that was a that's a whole nother thing <laughs> oh Lisa well that's it's amazing amazing yeah, story thank you so much Lisa for sharing yeah oh, thanks for having me on it's great to talk about it and anyone who you know who listens to it who, who may not have been touched by transplant yet hopefully they learn something can they go and register yes yes talk about it with family and and register definitely please do please do you'll change your life yeah we can change up to nine lives actually so it's huge it really is huge. what a legacy to leave do you know what i mean yeah yeah you lived your life and then you've gone and helped nine others and you know they could be anyone they could be a baby they could be a grandma who just wants to spend some more time with their children it could be someone like me who's 38 and you know got a lot of life ahead so yeah, yeah leave it leave a great legacy go and sign the organ donation register talk yeah. to your family brilliant wise words lisa wise words thank you very much lisa thank, thank you, you. great to see you both and nice to meet you jt yeah and and you. i hope to see you walking the dog on the beach soon oh you will <laughs> bye. take care ladies. bye bye Well, thank you very much to Lisa. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. That was absolutely brilliant. She's doing such a great job of raising awareness, isn't she? Yeah, she looks tremendous. Yeah. So yeah, good on you, Lisa. We're going to move on to the book collective now. So we're on the very final bit of Anita Diamond's The Red Tent. We are. We finished it, Lou, haven't we? We have. Mm. And how, because obviously I finished it a while ago. You finished it a while ago and you said to me, you texted me and said, I've just finished it and um, I'm in tears. And so I was sort of waiting, but yeah, no, I, I, I it's quite how emotional. Did you, how did you feel at the end? And I thought it tied in really well with our um, um, marvelous book. Yes, it did, didn't, didn't it? it? Yeah, with the talk about and and with our death wishes. Yeah, it, it went full circle. It, yeah, it really did. But before that, Lou, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say it's almost like Lisa was saying, but all the material things in life yeah. go out the window when she yeah. was ready to go in for her transplant. You know, they don't they don't matter. They, no, that's it's, so true. It's the family and the life you've lived, isn't it? Exactly. Really, exactly. And that's and that's how um, Dina felt, wasn't yeah. it? So Dina, she left um, Joseph, didn't she? And she came back. And the first thing she did was she confided in Merit, her friend, and Benia, the truth of her beginnings about Remos's father, etc. Um, and and she she also said that one of the reasons she felt confident enough to tell them about her beginnings, she said, Benia was the rock upon which my life stood firm, and Merit was my wellspring. I thought that's so lovely. It's beautiful. It? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but Merritt was older than Dina, wasn't she? And she yeah. she died a fair bit before before her. So we go through uh, Merritt's death, and I loved Lou. A bit like we were saying just now, um, they were they were aware Merritt's uh, days were numbered, so they kissed each other goodbye at every parting. Yeah. They never knew no, whether that was the last no. time that they'd see each other, and that's <clears throat> like life itself, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and we should be we should think about that a little bit more, actually. I, I, I think so, because you never know, do you? No. And she wrapped, I loved it, she, she wrapped <clears throat> Merit in the finest Egyptian cotton sheets that Joseph had, had, had given her. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was beautiful, beautiful friendship. A bit of a I know, there. so I do apologize. I do have a cold, so that's probably why I'm sounding a bit odd. Um, and I, I love uh, near the right near the end of the book, and I, one of the... the little quotes that she says there is no magic to immortality 
So yes. she's thinking, but her name has lived on <clears throat> yeah. forever. And it has, and she actually went today. Yeah, she went back to visit her father, didn't she? She, did. jo- she didn't want to, but Joseph came to her and said, <clears throat> he wants to see yeah. me and I want you to come with me. Yeah. And uh, when they got there, she didn't actually go and see him, did she? But he didn't talk about her at all, but he was desperate to see Joseph. Um, the, but son. It, it, the son. <clears throat> she didn't matter, of course. No. Um, and that was her only, he was, she was the only daughter. Exactly. But she learned, she got quite a lot from it, didn't she? Mm. She learned that actually from one of the granddaughters or sort of her niece, I suppose, mm. she, she learned that her, uh, the de- that her own story was almost a myth or, or a legend. Um, but never, nevertheless, she was remembered. And one of with her, the women though, wasn't it? Yes. Remembered with the women, <clears throat> with the women, they passed her story down. Yeah. And she says, death is not the enemy. Um, <clears throat> And yeah, it's, there's a couple of quotes about death that I want, you know, I just wanted to read out, Lou, um, because obviously she then, from there, she goes back to her home, doesn't she, with, with Benny, was with her there. Yeah. So first of all, she says, death is no enemy, but the foundation of gratitude, sympathy, and art. Of all life's pleasures, only love owes no debt to death. And that's her really appreciating everything mm. about her life. And coming to terms with the fact that she's not, you know, going to live, you know, forever. Um, and she loved, she says she loves the lotus flower of yes. Egypt. Yes, I was going to read that bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you? Yeah, no, you no, 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 go, go for it. Yeah. Th- this bit just says Egypt loved the lotus because yeah. it never dies. It is the same for people who are loved. And and she she said she stayed when, after she died, which was really, they, she wrote that quite beautifully, mm. didn't she? And after she died, she said she stayed with Benia until his last day didn't she so yeah. she was there yeah with him oh yeah and it was beautiful really it was just, just such a lovely ending I think yeah wrapped it up beautifully yeah. yeah it did yeah so much going on in in that book and I, I if you haven't had time chance to read it with us I find it in a charity shop somewhere it really is worth the yeah. read um but we, we go from red red tent to the red school um where um our lovely uh, author did a lot of her learning and um, that we're reading the next book Kate Codrington um second spring we are we're <coughs> going to st- start reading this aren't we for over the summer because she's yeah. going to be a lovely guest yeah she is yeah she is so we're going to be looking at that we're going to be looking at life seasons uh, so the foreword is written by Uma Dinsmore Tooley um she's quite a well-known actually yoga uh, therapist um and you read in bookmarks. I am. Yeah, yeah. I am. Yeah. I've just found two bookmarks in my in my book. Jint's just given me one of them is Jane Austen from Persuasion. I hate to hear you talk about all women as if they were fine ladies instead of rational creatures. Mm. And then there's another one that says, if women want rights more than they got, why don't they just take them and not be talking about it? <laughs> just take them. Just take them. And on the front of that one, you've got low, you've got loads of names for our bulbers yes so it's got it all going on got new bookmarks and everything ready for this ready for this new book so um join us do lounge the jj what's your favorite one there lou um i think giggle snuff peepee clout fuzzy credit (laughs) there's some good ones there fandango Um, 
just before we do the WI, Lou, mm-hmm. um, I just had a message from Eleanor and she says about the book, she said, the sample has me hooked. I can't wait to read the rest of it. So she'll be joining Fantastic. us the second spring. Brilliant. Um, WI, Lou, how are you? How's it going? How's yeah, your yoga? Some days I forget. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, but then I forget most things, most days. But um, yes, on the whole, I'm doing well. And the collective are joining in, which is yes. pretty amazing. And I love the video you put up of the seated one yeah. as well. I thought yeah. that was most helpful. Well, it's helpful when you're not feeling very well. It's helpful when if you can't get down, you know, on the floor. Or if um, you're sat on a train. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just be careful. Nobody's got a hot coffee opposite you. No. You fling your arm up. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't be happy. But, um, yeah, it's going well. So we'll Thanks continue for joining this us. Yeah, we'll, in, we'll into next week yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. And Jins, I believe we got quote of the week now. And I believe you, you've got us a little I have got ditty. a quote and I changed my quote. I had a very lovely quote, which I'm going to use at another time. But I oh. wanted to uh, use a quote from our lovely Flo, our lovely Florence Pugh that we talked about. Nipples. About nipple. Well, it's, yeah, it's it's from that same post. And I thought it was very, it was very apt right now. Um, so she says, I am grateful that I grew up in a household with very strong, powerful, curvy women. We were raised to find power in the creases of our body, to be loud and about being comfortable. It has always been my mission to say fuck it and fuck that whenever anyone expects my body to morph (laughs) into an opinion of what's hot or sexually attractive. Fuck it and fuck that. I love, love, love that. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well done, Flo. Oh, what a week. What a week, Lou. Yeah, sticking to trying to do everything in an hour is just not yeah, working, no, Jen. Sorry, so, guys. Sorry, we chat, yeah. chat. We've got too much to We've say. We've got too much to say. Too many great guests. You just, if it's too long for you, you just have to split it up. Go and get you some Put the kettle back on again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to, aren't we? We certainly are. So we hope your tea's not gone cold and that you'll join us next Sunday for The Collective. We would love you to subscribe, favourite and review our podcast. It really does help us spread the word. Please head over to our Instagram page, Womankind Collective, to leave comments or DM us with your thoughts or watch us and our guests on our Womankind Collective YouTube channel. And lastly, you'll find all the links, the recipes, the guest details and our hashtag Where's My Clinic campaign petition from Menopause Clinic in Devon on the podcast show notes. Fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> I need a nice cup of tea to soothe my throat. You now, do. And I'll go you. and get a calculator, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do your sums. <laughs> Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.